It's go time. Welcome everyone to Third Down Gamble. I'm Don Charbon, back with Heath Graham. The CFL is down to its final weekend of play prior to the playoffs as we get down to the end of the 2022 season. A lot of storylines that went into the previous weekend, not the least of which two teams who still, in a monicum sense of it, had a chance to control their destinies by going on five-game winning streaks. If either one did, then the other would be eliminated. (laughs) Saskatchewan specifically over Ottawa. Neither could even get started on a five-game winning streak, both losing right off the top. And a lot of the drama that could have been into this final weekend was eliminated quickly. It was. The Red Blacks did give Hamilton a game. I can't really say as much necessarily about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in their effort against the Calgary Stampeders. It was really a a sense that neither team really had that drive to get over the top and continue to compete for a playoff spot. It was nice to see coming into this last second last week of the season, there were still playoff spots up in the air. The only things that were a sure thing going into last week was that Edmonton could not make the playoffs and that Winnipeg had clinched first place. So every other position in both divisions was still up in the air. The Rough Riders sort of stunned, I think, a lot of people by starting Mason Fine. Mason Fine played well. It was not his fault that the team lost that game, but it was a shocker to a lot of people that a person who had not started all season, in fact, had not started in his tenure with the Rough Riders for the past couple of years, gets such a huge game to determine a team's playoff fate thrust upon his shoulders. The only equivalency I can point to is the 2007 Grey Cup. And that was out of necessity due to injury, whereas this one was an underperformance, perhaps, of Cody Fajardo. It was a a curious decision by Craig Dickinson and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders with the playoff spot still up in the air. You look at Cody Fajardo's record overall as a starter with the Rough Riders, especially going into this season, was very favorable. That offense was missing something, but it doesn't look like Mason Fine was necessarily the answer at this point. And it says a lot about the future of Cody Fajardo in Saskatchewan, in my opinion, that with the playoff spot still on the line, the decision was to put him on the sidelines. One thought that I had, and this is just pure speculation, conjecture, is that the Rough Riders held him back because they knew they weren't going to bring him back. Think of it this way. He's not going to be a Rough Rider in 2023. Why risk him by having him play in this game? We've already decided that we're moving on. This would be Mason Fine's chance to audition tough circumstance, as I said, for fine to be in. The strangest part of this equation was that in the first half, twice, Fajardo would come out to run the football, one time to hand it off, one time to run it, and then in the third quarter, he got an end around and got 15 yards. That was just really strange. Why make him a running back if you're not going to play him at quarterback? I thought that was odd as well. And it would be one thing if they were putting him in and he ran a full series or two as well in, in that situation. You know, we, we've seen that in the past with other quarterbacks. 
Chris Streveler in Winnipeg comes to mind where he would come in as a running back, get the first down, they'd keep him in for a couple other snaps to change things up a little bit. That was not the case with with Jason Moss and, and what they decided to do with Cody Fajardo in this situation. It was a one and done, hand the ball off, pick up the first down, and you're back on the sideline. Interesting tidbit of stats. This is coming from a reader of the Regina Leader Post a story by Rob Vanstone and was helped by Bradley Parker for the stats. The collapse of the Rough Riders. The Rough Riders are only the fifth team in CFL history to start the season at 4-1 and one and not make the playoffs. The fraternity in this context includes the Calgary Stampeders of 1958 and 59, the BC Lions of 2017, and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers of 2014. Ironically, the first year for Walters and O'Shea, they actually went 5-1 and one and didn't make the playoffs that year. It's just one of those things that um, you can't really get your head wrapped around how a team can start so strong and yet come back with such a miserable run of 12 games. I don't want to necessarily say it was a, a scheduling, the way the season was scheduled that maybe inflated their standings a little bit, but you look at those first five games the teams that they played against have all finished the season with a sub-500 record. And then they got into Winnipeg three times and Calgary and BC three times and Toronto. And you see the, the quality of, of opponent changed and, and increased a little bit. The 4-1 and one doesn't necessarily mean anything when you look at who they're playing and when. If the season started out a little bit differently with the opponents, they could have very well been a 2-3 and three team after five games. Who in Regina is to blame for all of this? Was it a lack of talent on the field, Jeremy O'Day, general manager, or was it the coaching that was provided, Craig Dickinson? There has been a comment made to Dickinson in a press conference questioning whether he feels like a dead man walking going into Calgary. The intimation obviously being that once that game is over, your job is complete. I may sit on the fence a little bit on this one and say... In some ways, each of them are to blame in their own way. Ultimately, Jeremy O'Day, as general manager, is responsible for getting players into place. And then it's up to Craig Dickinson to nurture what he has. The Rough Riders had one of the best receiving cores when healthy in the league. They have the best linebacking core by far in the league. They've got some solid defensive backs. They've got a great pass rusher. I think where the blame can go to Jeremy O'Day a little bit is on shoring up that offensive line. And their running game was subpar, in my opinion, as well. Craig Dickinson, as the head head coach, needs to get all those pieces moving in the right direction. And realistically, the biggest struggle seemed to be on offense. Craig Dickinson and, and Jason Moss just did not have a potent offense with the weapons that they had, and that's where they struggled from the strategic standpoint. With the CFL coaches cap, or administration cap, if you want to call it that, even with its 200,000 bump up, that doesn't leave you a lot of room to fire two people. And that's what it would have to take if you wanted to lay the blame on both. You'd have to clean house. And if you're Craig Reynolds, the president, look at both of these individuals and say, you each share the blame, as you suggest, and you both are gone and we need to go in a new direction. Chart the Rough Riders from 2019. First place, host West Final, 
2021, second place host West semifinal. 2022, don't even make the playoffs. If I had to venture a prediction on what's going to happen, I would guess that Craig Dickinson is done in his tenure as head coach. Jeremy O'Day perhaps gets one more coach to work with him to see if they can turn things back around. Ottawa already made a move prior to the end of the season. Saskatchewan did not. So it does leave them the offseason to make whatever decisions they need to take. And attendance at the last home game for the Rough Riders was strong, but there were a lot of no-shows. And there were a few people with actual bags over their heads. That is usually a major sign of dissatisfaction with not the organization, but the product on the field. Toronto wins first place on a last play rouge over the Montreal Alouettes in Montreal. Boris Beattie kicks a field goal. It's hard to tell if it went right over the upright or was just to the outside. It was so hard. It was so close. Chandler Worthy is standing at the back of the end zone. When he catches the ball, he steps on the end line. Immediately, the official standing right there signals single point. There's some confusion because flags are flying. The Alouettes have too many men. The Argos are going to get a second chance regardless. As it turns out, they don't need it. They win on the single point and move forward. On the panel, Milt Stiegel saying that that's not the way to win a football game. Of course, he's from the United States. They have a different set of constructs that they work with. The single point is part of Canadian football. Would Stiegel been happier had Toronto punted the ball through the end zone? That's not a fail. That's a success. If you ask if it is fair, it's in the rule book. It's fair. Toronto won by the rules that we have. They played within the confines of those rules and they were the successful team. The one thing that I will criticize in this was TSN coverage did not do a great job of explaining what happened. We saw the flags fly, but there was very little talk about how that single point was conceded. As you mentioned, Chandler Worthy stepped on the back line. It was not really clear immediately what that was. We saw some confusion. We saw Toronto declining a penalty and it was over. And if you didn't catch what happened with Worthy, it was almost like he caught the missed field goal and then just kind of stopped. So it was a little bit more replay and a little bit more dissecting of what happened immediately would have been easier for everybody to understand. Interestingly, in the same game, a safety touch was conceded by the Montreal Alouettes. We never got a formal announcement from the head official. Toronto tried to challenge, but you don't challenge on a scoring play. And whether or not that safety was awarded prior to any discussion with the Toronto bench or it wasn't, we never knew. We never heard the head official announce to the crowd nor to the television audience that there was a safety conceded. There was some problems with communication. Now, whether the mic wasn't working, which is possible, or it was just a misstep, hard to say. But in two instances, it would have been nice, especially at the end of the game. Now, they did announce the penalty was declined, a single point has been scored. We got that. It would have been also beneficial. Of course, it wouldn't have been abundantly clear to them that they needed to, a statement that Worthy had stepped on the end line. And then it might have been clearer for everybody else. But of course, as the officials, you've seen that. You, why do you have to restate that? I feel if Andre Pru was the head official in this one, he would have taken the time to explain it to everybody. Andre is very good at giving you all the particulars. With that, 
I'm fine with missed field goals going for single points and winning football games. This is the second time in a few years that Toronto has been able to do that. They did it against the BC Lions in Toronto not long ago. There is no problem with it. If he hits the upright, the ball is dead. There is no point. If Worthy gets the ball out of the end zone, there is no point. If you don't like the result, if you're Montreal, ask yourself, what were you doing the play before when Tavares Daniels is open over the middle and gets the run for 15 yards? Exactly. This is something that is unique to Canadian football. I understand that people that are staunch supporters of American football don't like these rules at all, but this is what ties it back to that rugby route that is the Canadian game. The fact that you can kick a ball forward at any point in time to have it in play as a throwback to rugby as well, it works well. And we see decisions made throughout a game when to award a single point. It can also affect when you go for a two-point convert after a touchdown if you've already conceded a single. It comes into play in a lot more situations than just a last-minute play. And it is something that really changes some of those coaching decisions throughout. The Alouettes were fully aware going into that play that this could be a consequence. And Worthy was standing at the back of the end zone. But Beattie was also instructed, if you're going to kick it, kick it as hard and as far as you can so that you, at least if you miss, still score and the game is over. He did that. Worthy was not able to track the ball without going out of bounds. As a result, Toronto wins the game fair and square. End of argument. Let's move on. Chris Jones has said unequivocally that he was hamstrung by all of the cap space that was chewed up by the previous coaching staff. The Elks had to pay a lot of money and that chewed into the salary cap that we talked about for coaches. They only worked with 18 coaches. Most teams worked with 21. How much do you put into that? It's a situation where Chris Jones has come in and has tried to put his stamp on things. I understand where he's coming from in that he is a little bit limited to who he can bring in at this point in time. The Elks have signed Chris Jones to a four-year deal. We know it's giving him the opportunity to build from the ground up. I would be naive to have thought that they were going to be a Grey Cup contender immediately. What's going to be telling is what happens in Season 2 and what happens in Season 3. When he gets to add those extra pieces on that coaching staff, he's pretty much brought a record number of players in and out of Edmonton this past season as well. So as he starts to get a little bit more comfortable in the pieces of the puzzle that are going to be working with him game in, game out, that's where you're going to see the progress. It's a valid excuse, but it's still an excuse. All you need to do is point back to his tenure with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. His first year with the team, they were horrible. But he had also brought in roughly 120 players to try to make a brand new team. The second year, they improved. The third year, they improved again. If that's the trajectory that you can satisfy yourself, if you're Victor Quee, if you're the Edmonton Elks, then yes, you're going to have to be patient. The biggest disappointment, I'm sure, in terms of the management and even the coaching staff, even though Jones would never admit to this, is the fact that they, again, for the second straight season, did not win at home. Now, like it or not, nine of those 16, nine of those 17 losses that the Elks have given up 
at home in consecutive fashion fall on the shoulders of Chris Jones. He knew that streak going into the coaching job. He did. The I'll let Chris Jones off the hook here a little bit. I'm never one to fully embrace stats in the past. You know, you look at, for example, Winnipeg's Grey Cup record against Hamilton. I believe the Blue Bombers are now 8-3 and three in Grey Cup games against Hamilton. But that dates back to 1958. You can't think of that now going, well, they've got a clear advantage going into this. The 0-9 at home this season, 100% is on Chris Jones. I understand the you're stringing together a consecutive streak now dating back 17 games. That's on the organization as a whole. All I can say is next year when that first win comes for those Elks fans that have stayed loyal to this franchise, it's going to be a big, big day. It's amazing when you look at the 2022 season, there are going to be different notes that are going to be sung when we finish with the Grey Cup. But some of the things that you can think about, the Elks go 0-9, the Red Blacks are one loss away from going 0-9, the Rough Riders lose six straight at home. Home isn't what it used to be. That just speaks volumes to the parody of the CFL as well. You look at Winnipeg, who's sitting now at 7-1 and one at home. Their, their one loss comes to the Montreal Alouettes. It's any given week, as they say, any team is capable of pulling off the victory. It is very interesting, the, the skewed stats of home records this year. I believe it's an anomaly. I don't think it's a trend that is going to continue throughout the years, but we'll have to wait and see what happens. As of week nine in the CFL season, the East was three and 16 against the West. As we finish interconference play, the East finishes 11 and 20 against the West. That means they went eight and four over the intervening weeks. Big wins by Hamilton and Calgary, for instance. Rough Riders are swept by the Argonauts. The East started to make their way through. It's just unfortunate for them that they went into buzzsaws at the beginning of the season. The Western teams were clearly ahead of them. But as things leveled out, as you mentioned with home and away, the East too started to figure things out. They did. The records, you do see a slight advantage in the standings of the West versus the East, but it's not the end of days the sky is falling on Eastern franchises that people were spouting off about early on in the season. We knew it was going to come around just like we saw the overall records of the teams in the East for so long, nobody was above 500. Now all of a sudden we've got Toronto, we've got Montreal right there. And if Hamilton pulls off the win the last week of the season, they're only one game away from a 500 record as well. So not nearly as terrible as people would lead you to believe. And those that follow the game closely know it's not as far off as, as people were letting on. Down. The penultimate weekend of the CFL is in the book for 2022. Ottawa started it off in Hamilton with the Red Blacks taking on the Tiger Cats. Huge crowd in Hamilton. People were amped up for this football game. Comes down to a Seth Small field goal on the final play and the Tiger Cats win. Unknowingly, they clinch a playoff spot at that same moment. Big win for Hamilton. They were the one team that 
fully controlled their own destiny going into the last two weeks of the season. Win them both and they were guaranteed to be in. They got the first one out of the way, needed a little bit of help from the Calgary Stampeders, and that was enough to push them into the playoffs. They are a team now that has won four out of their last five and have some positive momentum going after a really tough start to the season. Nick Arbuckle went all the way for the Red Blacks, 19 of 27 for 166. Dane Evans, 16 of 29 for 220, but he gets injured late in the football game. And Matt Schiltz has to be the quarterback of note to drive them down the field and set up the game-winning field goal. And he does that masterfully. Three of four for 43 yards. Receiver Tim White has the big catch to set up the game-winning field goal. White, seven catches, 113 yards. Big night for him, and one of the things that has really pushed Hamilton to success over these last few games has been they have now established a running game. They struggled with rushing early on in the season. Sean Thomas Erlington had probably his best game of the season, 104 yards on 13 carries. Don Jackson helped out a little bit. Matthew Shields had a big 25-yard run in there as well, and this offense is finally starting to show some of the potential that we thought they had early on. No Wes Hills to speak of in that backfield for this football game. So it's kind of nice to see the Canadian Erlington put up some big numbers. For Hamilton, as we mentioned, that clinches the playoff spot that they had desperately been working hard to get. For Ottawa, that eliminated them right on the spot. Ottawa gets Hamilton again to finish the season Caleb Evans will likely get the start for the Red Blacks. This is going to be interesting. Again, we will have an entire offseason to talk about the quarterback carousel in the CFL. Nick Arbuckle has shown some flashes with the Red Blacks. We know Jeremiah Mazzoli is rehabbing from injuries if he is back in the mix again next year. There's some quarterbacks that are going to be on the move and everybody has to seize the opportunity. Caleb Evans really needs to show something in this last start of the season to continue to push forward as a potential starter in the CFL. The nightcap. The British Columbia Lions were in Edmonton to take on the Elks. Decent crowd in Edmonton, over 23,000 paid attendance. But the Elks, unfortunately, do not give them a home victory and finish the season at 0-9. BC looking dominant in this football game, winning 31-14. Vernon Adams Jr., 18 of 24 for 211. Trey Ford went all the way for the Elks, 22 of 36 for 242. Trey Ford certainly has potential. He looked confident on some of his passes. We know he can run the ball as well, eight carries for 72 yards. He'll learn from these mistakes, and when you get behind a team like the BC Lions, you have to start pushing to make things happen. I believe that's a little bit of what happened to Trey Ford in this one with those interceptions. James Butler, who's pretty much made a career out of feasting on the Elks, 24 carries, 141 yards, and a touchdown. For BC, they had clinched second place with that win. For Edmonton, there was nowhere to go up or down, but losing against the Lions meant that they were swept in the three games that they played against the Lions leaves a lot of questions for the offseason because now Edmonton does not play in the final week already. Their job to prepare for 2023 has begun. It has. Taylor Cornelius missed this game due to a a spleen injury suffered in the previous week. 
Trey Ford had some injury issues earlier on this season as well with a shoulder injury. If both of those quarterbacks come to camp healthy next year, that's going to bode well for the Elks. And as we mentioned, it's the opportunity for head coach and general manager Chris Jones to start to put his stamp on things. And we'll we'll see where they go from here. Dylan Mitchell seems like, a, and Kevin Brown are some key additions on that offense that have kind of come into play here recently. We know Kenny Lawler has been hurt with injury, but he was, was showing very well. And it comes down to a couple of aging receivers in Emmanuel Arsenault, Darrell Walker, that may be time for a change of scenery for them. We'll see what Chris Jones has up his sleeve in the offseason. Moving to Saturday and the Toronto Argonauts and the Montreal Alouettes. In the uh, battle for first place in the East, the Alouettes would have to sweep the home-and-home series against the Argonauts if they wanted first place, but Toronto saw to it that wasn't going to happen. A 24-23 victory. Trevor Harris, 25 of 33 for 413 yards and two touchdowns. A big pick at the beginning of the game when the Alouettes were driving. McLeod Bethel-Thompson, 20 of 29 for 240, a little bit. Lower numbers for him, but when it came down to crunch time, both quarterbacks performed well. Eugene Lewis with a huge touchdown for the Alouettes to get them to tie the Argonauts, and then the Argos take the kickoff and move it down the field and set up the game-winning point. One aspect I really liked from the Montreal Alouettes in this game is they came out going for it. They had a, a third and four that they went for. They had got it down to the one-yard line on the next drive. They were trying everything they could to get points on the board. They knew the importance of winning these back-to-back games, and they were not coming out lightly. They were were going after touchdowns, and it just unfortunately did not work out for them, but I, I certainly applaud the effort. They didn't ease into this one by any means. The Alouettes, as you say, went for it, and Trevor Harris went for it too, which was really nice to see. I've often criticized him for not being there when it's crunch time, but he showed two of the last three games that when the pressure's on that he could respond and did well. For Montreal, a nice crowd again at McGill to watch this one. They again go away disappointed. The Alouettes, though, will have a home date. They will finish second because they have the seasonal series against the Tiger Cats. There's no way that the Tiger Cats can finish ahead of them. It's going to be fascinating to watch them perform in the playoffs because they are a team that defense is strong enough that they could uh, push some people around. Nine different receivers caught a pass for the Alouettes in this one as well. With the earlier season injury to Andrew Harris, we knew the Argonauts lost a key component of their running game, but A.J. Ouellette has stepped up as a bruising running back for the, the Argonauts here. 14 carries for 92 yards, and a lot of those yards were after contact. He looks like a a great power back, not necessarily the fastest guy on the field, but you need to be form perfect in order to bring him down. The late game on Saturday saw the Calgary Stampeders go into Saskatchewan to play the Rough Riders. The Stampeders, with the knowledge that second place was out of reach, still play all the starters and take it to the Rough Riders in front of over 27,000 announced. 32-21, to Jake Mayer goes all the way for the Stampeders. 15 of 24 for 205. Mason Fine gets his first CFL start. 18 of 28 for 196 and a touchdown pass for each of them. 
The difference in this football game, Calgary's rushing. Over 200 yards of rushing against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. In fact, the Stampeders had more yards rushing than they did passing. On the flip side, the Rough Riders had 74 yards rushing in this one. Dedrick Mills, 103 yards. Kadeem Carey, 75 yards. Each of them with a touchdown. Tommy Stevens on the short yardage continues to be a great addition to that Calgary offense as well. We're starting to see that weather get a little bit colder. The the running game becomes more important. And we saw some fine examples of that in these games last weekend. Rough Riders and the Stampeders traded field goals in the first half. And it wasn't until the third quarter that Mayer marched the team down the field and got Calgary into the lead for good. Uncharacteristically, Brett Lowther misses two field goals for the Rough Riders. It was very uncharacteristic for him. We saw one of the dynamic rookies in Jalen Philpot, two receptions for 64 yards in this one as well. Speed to burn, as they say, for those Philpot brothers, and uh, great to see him getting some touches here in this one. Mario Alford takes a kick, 104 yards in the final minute of the game. The Rough Riders get the onside kick. Had Lowther made both of his field goals, Saskatchewan would have had the ball playing for the win in that final 35 seconds. It wasn't the best performance by the Rough Riders, but it was nice to see Alfred give the fans one last thing to cheer about at their last home game of the season. Five sacks against the Rough Riders. That's over 70 this season against the Green and White. For Saskatchewan, that eliminates them from any playoff hopes. As I mentioned earlier, that offensive line has had some issues this year and and something that if Jeremy O'Day gets another chance, he's going to need to shore up. Uh, a little bit of good news reported today that Rough Riders linebacker Mike Edom is virtually un- uninjured from that hit, the the collision with Mills in this game that knocked him out. We saw him get carted off on a backboard. A very scary moment. All the players from both sidelines had come out uh, to check on him during the process as well. So good news today. He seems to be at home resting and, and doing very well. A very scary moment for everybody watching and those in attendance. So happy to see that he's doing all right. Saskatchewan finishes the season in Calgary. Mason Fine most likely will get the start. Cody Fajardo has announced now that he is going to test the free agent market. The Rough Riders, if Mason Fine wants the job, it's his to take now. Has he shown enough so far to be anointed the starter moving forward and into next season? We'll wait and see. As we said, there's going to be some free agent quarterbacks looking for some new homes as well. So I suspect more competition in Saskatchewan going into next season. Third down. The final regular season weekend is upon us in the Canadian Football League. It's always hard to say that. We start Friday night in Winnipeg with the Blue Bombers coming off a bye, playing the BC Lions. The Bombers are three-and-a-half-point favorites. Of note, the Lions are looking to start Nathan Rourke against the Blue Bombers. Could you ever have thought a circumstance like that would come about? Very exciting for those BC Lion fans. This is the easiest predictions of the season. We're picking games where there is no implication in the standings whatsoever. We have no idea who's going to start at quarterback, who's going to play for how long. This should be a piece of cake. We'll live with what we've got. We know that for the standings and for the playoff races, these games matter not, but there are people on the field that this matters 
greatly. Nathan Rourke, for instance, where is he in his recovery? We're going to find out. I don't imagine he's going to go the distance in this one. I, I believe he's going to get some game action to get up to speed. Probably play the entire first half for sure, depending on where the game is scoreboard-wise after that. They will determine what to do with him from that point on. Similar for Winnipeg, Zach Caleros, because they've locked up first place a couple of weeks ago, again, games that are going to matter to him are kind of few and far between in October, so you're going to want to get him some more snaps, but you also don't want to see him get injured, so I don't suspect either quarterback is going to play the entire four quarters. We're going to see some backups. I'm picking Winnipeg to win this one at home. It's an outdoor game late in the year against a dome team who's testing out their quarterback. So I believe Winnipeg wins this one and covers the three and a half points. If Rourke leaves the game, who's the next quarterback for the uh, BC Lions in the game? I believe you keep with Vernon Adams. I, with some questions about Rourke's health coming back from an injury, you want to keep Vernon Adams as your number two guy and will likely get the snaps. Although he has played the starting role in the last several games. So maybe you look at, at giving him some rest as well. Again, it's a, it's a tough one to try to pick a, a fantasy lineup and anything can happen. Triple header Saturday. It all begins in Toronto with the Argonauts, three and a half point favorites over the Montreal Alouettes. Again, it's a myriad of opportunities for whom to step up. Will the starting quarterbacks from last week even see the field this week in that football game? Will Trevor Harris, will McLeod Bethel Thompson? Once you move into the backups, where do you go from there? It, it just makes it really, really tough to try to get a betting line on this is next to impossible. And when you think about it, the three and a half is pretty much a field goal, which is usually what a home team gets. I'd love to see some game action from Chad Kelly. He has been a very energetic guy when he has been inserted into the lineup on short yardage plays. This might be a great opportunity for him to get some meaningful snaps and to see what he can do to lead that offense. If I'm Coach Dinwiddie, I'm probably leaning that way a little bit. McLeod Bethel-Thompson is a very tough quarterback, but has taken a lot of hits, so it might be a good opportunity to give him a little bit of rest going into the playoffs. Granted, they do have that first round by, so there's an extra week off. Likely to see both quarterbacks in that situation. Similar thing with Montreal. I don't suspect Trevor Harris to go the distance in this one either. I'm going to pick Toronto just because they are the home team in this one. Just to tie together with something we spoke about before, it was Ryan Dinwiddie, of course, in that 2007 Grey Cup that had to come off the bench when Kevin Glenn was injured in the East Final and start for the first time ever. I'm sure that's weighing in the back of his mind somewhat too, that maybe Chad Kelly better get some meaningful snaps. Exactly my thought process as well. The third game of the weekend, second of the day, the Hamilton Tiger Cats and their rematch with the Ottawa Red Blacks. We already have heard that Caleb Evans is going to start for Ottawa. Who starts for Hamilton? Do you want to go with Matthew Schultz or do you want to rest him as well? Dane Evans is nursing a bit of an injury from the last game, so we know he's not going to see the field unless absolutely necessary. I would give this one to Matthew Schultz. Again, you want 
the potential quarterbacks to get some meaningful play. Shields has taken a lot of snaps this year. They've kind of had a platoon of quarterbacks in Hamilton, but it might be nice to give him that opportunity to lead the team again right from the start. A really tough one to call again. Ottawa looking for that elusive home win. I, unfortunately for the Red Blacks fans, don't think they get it this week. I, I believe Hamilton, with the momentum that they have built over the last month, continue and eke out a close win in this one. There's always a chance that Jamie Newman might see the lion's share of the uh, Cats play at quarterback. It's been a while since he's been on the on the field, too. He had some very limited action earlier in the season as well. You're, you're right. It could be time to see what Newman can do. The nightcap and the final game of the 2022 regular season brings the Saskatchewan Rough Riders to Calgary to face the Stampeders. Normally, when the Rough Riders are in Calgary, it's Christmas. Red and green everywhere. Betting that this will be a sea of red in McMahon Stadium. Stampeders are five-and-a-half-point favorites. Even if they go to their backup quarterback, you still get an all-star pivot. You do, and I would not be surprised if Bo Levi Mitchell sees the majority of snaps for the Calgary Stampeders in this one. Benched earlier in the season in favor of Jake Mayer. You want to get him back in game action here as well, moving into the playoffs. If Jake Mayer struggles at all in these playoff games, you've got a very, very capable and future Hall of Famer as your backup quarterback. It's a great position to be in. Looks like Mason Fine gets the start for the Rough Riders again. As you mentioned earlier, it's audition time for him. He wants to be that front runner in Regina next season, and this is his opportunity. I am picking the Calgary Stampeders. The Rough Riders, to me, seem a bit deflated and a little bit scattered in what they're doing. We've seen some turmoil right from the Garrett Marino situation earlier on in the season and Duke Williams getting involved in the sideline altercation. That, to me, is a team that lacks discipline. We've talked about Montreal and, and their coaching decisions being discipline-related, but to me, it's the Saskatchewan Rough Riders that seem to be struggling the most with discipline at this point, and I just don't see them having enough to fight for to pull this one out. Does Tommy Stevens play at all for the Stampeders with any meaningful snaps against the Rough Riders at quarterback? I would love to see that. He's a very tall and strong quarterback. We've really only see him, seen him in short yard situations. Seems great on a second and one and third and one, but let's see what he can do on a couple of series. I would, I would love to see that. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.